Hi everyone, uh, this is Mark and this is the Mark Hastings Experience and uh, in this podcast uh, I'm going to be talking about everything from poetry to films to uh, TV shows to books and about uh, anything and everything that inspires me and uh, I hope you like what you hear. Hi everyone, this is Mark, and welcome to the episode of the Mark Hastings Experience. And this episode, I'm going to be talking about one of my favourite films. Um, It's one of my favourite Star Trek films. Um, And it's a film that um, is also a very emotional film for me. And and without further ado, the, the film that I'm talking about is Star Trek Generations. And it's an emotional film for me because for as long as I can remember, I've been a Star Trek fan. Uh, A very passionate Star Trek fan. I've seen every episode of every TV show. I've seen every movie ever made, Star Trek movie at least. And I I love the universe, the, the characters... And the franchise uh, that encompasses Star Trek. All of it. And I love the fact that it has this ongoing and constantly evolving interconnected continuity. Um, and I love that the captains of all the starships that are portrayed in all of the TV shows are taken into the heart of the viewers and the fans and they go, and the, the viewers and the fans go along on the journey with these these characters these captains of starships these science officers these explorers these heroes that go out into the final frontier to explore strange new worlds and um, to boldly go where no one has gone before and it's an incredible franchise uh, that was created by Gene Roddenberry back in the 1960s. And, um, of course, uh, um, the first Star Trek series that started in 1966 that spanned to um, 1969 that starred William Shatner and Leonard Nimoy and DeForest Kelly and James Doohan. Um, among some other incredible actors such as Nicole Nichols, Nichelle Nichols, sorry, um, and George Takei, they that series uh, was all that there was of Star Trek, and after it was cancelled for almost ten years, there was no Star Trek on any screen, whether it was the small screen and the big. Uh, Showing Star Trek on a big screen was something that was just a, a dream. Um, but for ten years, fans of the the original Star Trek TV series watched it over and over again on reruns, and they continued to enjoy the adventures of the USS Enterprise, captain by Captain James T. Kirk. Uh, portrayed by William Shatner 
and his portrayal of Captain James T. Kirk is indelible with the story of science fiction the and the he was the the model that all captains who came after him uh, were based upon but they were all every captain of every starship that has been portrayed in all of the Star Trek TV series and the movies are all individual in their own right but Captain James T. Kirk was the first and uh, that's why he and uh, William Shatner's portrayal of him means so much to to people um, even fans of Star Trek the original series or people who are not as much of a fan of the original series but like the the new uh, the newer Star Trek TV series or, or the movies everybody knows who originated Star Trek it started with Leonard Nimoy William Shatner DeForest Kelly they were the they may not have been in the first episode the pilot episode in well um other than Leonard Nimoy, he was there right at the beginning in the pilot for Star Trek. Um, the the failed pilot for Star Trek before uh, um, it was given a new lease of life to create a, a new pilot. Because yeah, the uh, executives at uh, NBC at the time, I believe, uh, realised that there, were, there was something there in this idea by this um, visionary writer and producer of television, Gene Roddenberry, and uh, as I say, um, the rest is history, and what followed from Star Trek, the original series, followed um, six films from 1979 to um, 1993, or was it 1991, um, 1991, sorry, um, so from Star Trek, the motion picture, to um, Star Trek VI, The Undiscovered Country. And when Star Trek VI, The Undiscovered Country, was shown in theatres, it was believed that that was the last time that we would see the the crew of the USS Enterprise from the Star Trek original series. And it was, in their entirety. Um, however, within Star Trek Generations... Uh, the film came out in 1994, uh, which was uh, directed by David Carson, who had uh, previously directed some episodes of Star Trek The Next Generation TV show and Star Trek um, Deep Space Nine, some episodes. I think he directed the, the pilot episode of Star Trek Deep Space Nine, uh, entitled Emissary. Um, but... Uh, Yes, yeah, Star Trek Generations, uh, as I said, I, I have a personal connection to it. I have a personal connection to all of Star Trek. It means a great deal to me. I passionately um, have a connection to Star Trek because it is so optimistic, it's so hopeful, and it has given me many hours of joy and happiness. I've watched all of the episodes of every series over and over again as well as the movies um, and I remember being uh, 13 years old uh, 
um, when Star Trek Generations came out. Uh, it came out on the 10th of February 1994. Um, and, um, well, 10th of February 1995, actually, here in the UK. And I was not yet uh, 14. I was still 13. Um, but uh, I remember going to the cinema with my family, my, my dad, my mum, my sister Claire. We went to see Star Trek Generations. And it was the first Star Trek film that I had ever seen at the cinema. And that moment that I, I saw um, the title of Star Trek Generations, um, I, I was so excited. I can still remember the excitement now. And previous to that, I had watched Star Trek The Next Generation TV show. Um, and I loved it. And I loved the way that it, it ended uh, in the, the, ep the two-part episode, All Good Things. And I thought it was a great ending. Um, so I was truly interested to discover what uh, Star Trek Generations would be about. And uh, like many people uh, at the time, even though I was um, 13, uh, I was aware that um, Captain Kirk and Scotty was going to be in the film and Chekhov because I, I believe there was some... Um, magazine covers um that had them on it and i also bought the the novelization um at the, at the time as a result of watching star trek generations um so i was aware of uh what was going to happen uh or seemingly what was going to happen but i had and i knew that there were going to be some characters there were that they were literally going to be passing the baton, um, figuratively, I should say, passing the baton from one generation of Star Trek to another, uh, from the original series actors, um, <clears throat> excuse me, to the the next generation actors who were uh, going from um, TV uh, adventures uh, to uh, motion picture adventures. Um, but I had no idea that it was going to hit me so hard, the story of this film, because it's such an emotional film, because in it we see, uh, and this is a spoilers for anyone who hasn't seen the film, but in the film we see the death of a legend, and the legend is Captain James T. Kirk, who sacrificed himself. Not once, but twice. He sacrifices himself right at the beginning of the film uh, when he is aboard the USS Enterprise NCC 1701B along with uh, Montgomery Scott and Pavel Chekhov uh, while they're attending the maiden voyage of the USS Enterprise B um, during a, a basic... Um, run-of-the-mill shakedown cruise as it was supposed to be however um, just before they was about to set out they um, received a distress signal from two El Orion refuge uh, refugee ships 
who had become ensnared in a massive energy ribbon. And because the the Enterprise was only like three light years away, and um, even though the, the captain of the Enterprise B, uh, Captain John Harriman, uh, was a little reticent to um, to rush to the uh, to the aid of these Elorian um, refugees um, at the beh- at the behest the um, the uh, having Captain James T Kirk in um, in attendance of the the maiden voyage of the Enterprise B, I, I believe that that was what um, gave um, Captain uh, John Harriman, uh, who was played by Alan Rook in the film, the um, the the thought that he has to put on a good show for Captain James T Kirk. So that's why he orders the ship to race towards the uh, this massive energy ribbon, uh, which is called the Nexus, and um, it is while they're trying to um, rescue the refugees. Um, however, the two vessels are destroyed, but they manage to save forty-seven passengers out of a hundred and fifty of one of the vessels. But the Enterprise B becomes ensnared in the energy ribbon, um, and it can't escape. Uh, however, it's um, uh, Montgomery Scott, Captain Scott, um, uh, comes up with the idea to set uh, to let out a an energy pulse from the main deflector dish, uh, which may be able to disrupt the hold that the the nexus the energy ribbon has on the ship um and initially uh captain john harriman uh volunteers to go down to the uh main deflector dish to uh set off the um the pulse the energy pulse but then he's stopped by captain james t kirk and he's said that uh he's told that um his place on the bridge of his ship and that he will take care of it. So Captain Kirk races down to the deflector dish. And he makes the necessary modifications. And he lets out the the energy pulse. The energy beam. And the the grip of the ribbon on the, on the ship is disrupted just enough for the Enterprise to free itself. However, just before the Enterprise escapes... Um, the ribbon, the ribbon lets out an energy pulse um, that hits the Enterprise B, um, and um, it causes it rips open a massive hole in the hull of the of the ship that extends for three decks. Um, and on board the ship, the Enterprise B, is uh, the character of. Uh, Demora Sulu, who it is revealed to Captain Kirk uh, when he comes aboard that she is in fact the daughter of his former crewmate and the now Captain Sulu, uh, who's played by George Decay. And this 
fills Kirk with a great deal of um, optimism and he refers to Demora Sulu as um, someone who deserves to be aboard the Enterprise because uh, it wouldn't be an Enterprise if there wasn't a Sulu at the helm. Um, however, um, the ribbon, when it uh, let out its um, energy um, pulse and it hit the Enterprise B, it took the hull and evacuated the air in the location where Captain Kirk was. And as a result, um, after Demora Sulu informs Captain John Harriman that um, the, the decks that were uh, damaged uh, were the same decks where Captain Kirk were, Captain John Harriman and Scotty and Chekhov go down to deck 15 and they discover that Captain Kirk is gone and as a result he's presumed dead. Um, and then, um, 78 years later, um, we catch up with the crew of the USS Enterprise D, um, which is captained, captained by Captain Jean-Luc Picard, um, who's played by Patrick Stewart, and they are on the holodeck, um, using a computer simulation in order um, to celebrate the promotion of their shipmate, uh, Lieutenant Worf, to Lieutenant Commander Worf. And the holodeck simulation is one of a, that appears to be uh, like an 18th or a 17th century uh, galleon, very British looking um, uh, galleon um, with sails and wooden and but it's called the enterprise um and everybody's spirits are uh um high you know everybody's in a joyous mood um and even wharf uh finds himself plunging into the water surrounding this uh the vessel that they're on uh, because of a um, a uh, because of uh, Commander Riker, uh, who is the first officer of the Enterprise D, who's played by Jonathan Frakes, he misspeaks and instead of retracting the wooden plank that Lieutenant Commander Worf is on, he orders the holodeck and the computer to uh, remove the plank, and this causes uh, Lieutenant Commander Worf to fall into the water and to soak him um but after this moment of levity um and after a moment when um dr beverly crusher is pushed into the water as a result of uh lieutenant commander data um who's played by brent spiner uh and and uh, dr um dr beverly crusher is played by gates mcfadden um yeah, so Data pushes her into the water because he he finds he assumes that because Worf fell into the water and it was funny that pushing Doctor Beverly Crusher into the water would be funny also, but um, 
no one laughs, especially not Dr. Crusher. And it takes uh, Lieutenant Commander Geordie LaForge, uh, who's played by LeVar Burton, to explain to Data that it's it wasn't funny. And, uh, yeah, but that's just one of the occasions where Data, Lieutenant Commander Data, who is an android, doesn't get that uh, there is a time and a place for certain things. And because he cannot experience emotions, he's because he's not programmed like that, he uh, was enabled to differentiate between the two moments, between war falling into the water and pushing uh, Dr. Crusher into the water. Um, and after this moment, um, Captain Jean-Luc Picard is told that he has a message coming in, um, that uh, a personal message that he needs to, to read. And Captain Picard reads the message uh, that has been transferred to the holodeck. And it is in this message that he learns that his brother, um, Robert, and his nephew, René, have been killed in a fire at um, the Picard ancestral home. And Picard is visibly um, shaken by this. Um, previously, uh, Captain Picard had had a, um, a very tumultuous um, relationship with his brother. Um, they never really got on uh, because his brother Robert um, stayed at home on the the, the family um, vine um, yard. Uh, he stayed there to carry on the family business of making wine in La Bar, France. Whereas Captain Picard, Jean-Luc Picard, when he was younger, he went off and he wanted to join Starfleet. He wanted to go out on adventures. And this is something that Robert um, uh, held against Jean-Luc. And that's why Jean-Luc never returned home to La Bar, France, that often. But he did in the episode of Star Trek The Next Generation entitled Family. And it was then that he first um, met his nephew, René, and he reconciled with his brother, Robert. Um, and as Captain Picard explains at one point during the film, um, Robert mellowed over the years and they were able to have a, a good relationship. And he considered um, René, his nephew, as kind of um, a, like a son to him. He treated him like a son. And he knew that, that René was a dreamer. He wanted to join Starfleet Academy uh, at one point. Um, and he, that Jean-Luc planned to meet up with them at San, in San Francisco and take him to Starfleet headquarters and show him, you know, uh, everything that he he may one day get to enjoy. Um, but because he has been killed, this, this really does shake uh, Captain Picard. Um, and he um, leaves the holodeck. He goes to his, uh, to the observation um, deck. Um, to have some time to himself. Uh, and soon after, the Enterprise receives a distress signal from a 
um, stellar, stellar observatory um, um, where um, which has been attacked um, and when the Enterprise goes to investigate um, and, a, and an away team uh, beams over um, led by um, Commander Riker they discover an Elorian um, doctor Dr. Tolian Soren, uh, who's played by Malcolm McDowell. Um, and and uh, Tolian Soren was aboard one of the Elorian ships uh, that were caught in the Nexus 78 years ago, on the, sa the same time that um, Captain James T. Kirk was, presumed, was killed, presumed killed. And um, he, and as was uh, Guinan. And Guinan, uh, who's played by Whoopi Goldberg, is a very mysterious character. Um, they come from a race of listeners. Um, they uh, um, have a, a, a long uh, life. They're able to live for hundreds of years. And... Um, they have an ability to to listen and to um, have make psychic contact, um, but they are aware of each other as well. And Doctor Soren um, is basically the the antagonist of the of the film, um, and when he's brought aboard the Enterprise. Um, Instead of being happy to be there and thankful to have been uh, been rescued, uh, he uh, asks for an audience with Captain Jean-Luc Picard and asks that he be able to return to the Stellar Observatory so that he can continue his um, experiments there. And he has a nefarious reason for doing so, um, because he is on a mission to return to the Nexus. And the Nexus is this, this other reality where anything that you want, you can imagine. It is a place where infinite wishes can come true. And the Nexus ribbon that was encountered by the Enterprise B, and uh, resulted in the, the presumed death of Captain Jean-Luc Picard, um, is basically just a doorway to this other place that um, is called the Nexus. But it is a place where thought, where space, time don't matter. You can go anywhere, you can do anything, you can be anybody. Um, and that's why... Uh, Dr. Soren wants to return to it by any means necessary because um, the Elorian species were invaded by a cybernetic uh, species called the Borg and they are one of the greatest threats to the Federation, to the galaxy, one of the most powerful adversaries in all of Star Trek and they have been encountered by all the ships in every Star Trek series, 
bar two at this point. Uh, they didn't appear in Star Trek, the original series. They only premiered. They only fe the first appearance was in Star Trek: The Next Generation in an episode called Q Who, and they were introduced to the Enterprise. Um, Captain by Captain Jean Luc Picard was introduced to the Borg by the entity Q, uh, who's played by John Delancey. But in any case, um, the Borg um, invaded and assimilated the Elorian species, and that's what led led to um, there be refugees that were supposedly um, to be transported. Um, uh, rescued and transported to Earth, but they were caught in this energy ribbon called the Nexus. And while they were, they experienced um, the ability to be with their loved ones who died. And Dr. Tolian Soren's wife and his children died when um, the Borg invaded their world, the Elorian world, and um, assimilated the, the majority of the population into uh, Borg drones, as the Borg do. Um, but And Dr. Soren, instead of um, being just grateful uh, to, to have been saved, he has spent the last 78 years coming up with a plan to return to the Nexus. And he has made very uh, precise... Um, deals with uh, the Klingons um, and he has set up um, certain apparatus that would allow him to return to the Nexus uh, and he has got a hold of um, a very volatile um, material called trilithium and it is described as a nuclear inhibitor and if it were fired into a star then it would cause the star to um, basically implode and set off a shock wave create a shock wave and Dr. Soren uh, believes that if he was able to do this uh, in a sequential order, then he would be able to redirect the path of the Nexus, which is, as I said, it's this energy ribbon that travels through the galaxy on a predicted uh, path. Uh, however, if Dr. Soren's plan is to detonate the trilithium within these stars and cause them to collapse and launch and create a shockwave that would eventually change the path of the Nexus um, so precisely that he, that Dr. Soren would be able to predict the exact planet where it would be and where he could, he could be to return to the Nexus. And it's all, everything that he does in the film is a selfish act so that he can return to the Nexus and seemingly be with his family once again, uh, who he uh, lost. 
uh, and that's why he does what he does. And when um, Geordie LaForge and Commander, Lieutenant Commander Data go to the observatory, to um, to the Stellar Observatory, to find out more information, um, after they uh, discovered that the Stellar Observatory was attacked by Romulans, uh, who were looking for this trilithium uh, that uh, Sauron uh, was going to use to collapse these stars. Um, and Sauron is able to find his way back to the Stellar Observatory after he speaks with Captain Picard um, and he has a psychic connection with him and even though he's not told about Captain Picard's family dying in in a fire. He describes time as the fire in which we burn. Um, and that his time is running out. Uh, because he has worked everything out precisely. So that the, the Nexus, he knows exactly where the Nexus will be. So that he can return to it. Uh, but when Geordie LaForge and Data... Um, realize that Dr. Soren is there and Dr. Soren um, is planning to launch uh, a solar probe into um, a star uh, to cause this shockwave. This, so he, with the, the shockwave, the gravity of the shockwave, he can alter the path of the Nexus. Uh, when he, when Dr. Soren realizes that Geordie and Data's um, presence on Stellar Observatory is a problem. He uh, knocks Geordie out and he causes Data to go into a panic of um, and to be um, um, to be incredibly fearful uh, stricken with fear paralyzed with fear uh, because Data had chosen to activate a emotion chip that he has been in possession uh, for some years since the episode, um, Star Trek episode uh, called Family uh, from Star Trek The Next Generation Season 4, uh, which he was given by his father, Dr. Noonien Sung, uh, who unfortunately died after he was killed by Data's brother, Law. But Data has had this in his possession. Um, uh, well, it was... It was uh, stolen by his brother, Law, uh, after that episode, and Data was able to get possession of it during the two-part Star Trek The Next Generation episode, Descent, Part 1, uh, Part 2. But in all the intervening years, uh, Data hasn't chosen to, um, to insert the chip into his system. Uh, but following on from the... Um, the the moment, the, the moment on the holodeck when he pushed Beverly Crusher into the into the water, he realizes that now is perhaps the time for him to have the emotion chip that was made for him by his father, so that he can truly understand human emotions. However, when uh, Data is uh, threatened by Doctor Tolly and Soren with a, a weapon, um, Data cowers in a corner and um, 
basically plead to him not to be not to be hurt um but Sauron he lets he launches um a solar probe into the into the the Amagosa uh star and he creates a shockwave and this um shockwave um violently and um quickly is approaching the enterprise and it will soon destroy the stellar observatory uh and also the enterprise if they do not um make their escape but um geordie and data are still aboard the amagosa uh stellar observatory um so uh lieutenant commander wharf and um commander Riker launch uh take um go over to the stellar observatory to try and retrieve data and geordie uh, but um and they discover data is cowering and geordie has been knocked out and dr soren um is commute is uh messaged by uh the klingon sisters the juras sisters who are uh sisters characters that uh, had appeared in star trek the next generation um multiple times in fact and they are working with dr tolly and soren um and they were able to give him the trilithium that he needs to uh collapse the stars um uh in exchange for dr soren's um plans for um weapons that the Duras sisters can use to reconquer the Klingon Empire. Um, um and Tolian Dr. Tolian Soren uh beams away, is able to beam away from the Stellar Observatory with um Geordie LaForge, um Data and Commander Riker and Lieutenant Commander Worf are able to return to the Enterprise and they warp away. Um, and after, um, Dr. Soren, uh, disappears with the, the Klingons aboard the Klingon Bird of Prey, uh, with Geordie as their hostage, while this is occurring, uh, Captain Picard and Data, um, uh, go to the stellar cartography, um, of on board the enterprise uh, in an attempt to try and discover what to dr soren's um plan is and they they do um discern um that dr soren's plan is to um is to uh disrupt these stars and set off a shockwave that will change the path of the Nexus. Um, and he learns a lot about the Nexus from Guinan, who he uh, finds out was also uh, a passenger on the same uh, refugee ship um, uh, when uh, the Enterprise B attempted to try and uh, rescue them. Uh, so Guinan informs Captain Picard that Soren has been obsessed with re-entering the energy ribbon known as the Nexus, which is this extra-dimensional realm that exists outside of space and time. 
um, and that he lost his family uh, when their homeworld was destroyed um, and invaded by the um, and assimilated by the Borg. And he sees the Nexus as a way to escape death. Um, and when you're within the Nexus, um, it is like being inside, being inside joy, um, utter happiness, essentially. Uh, and there, time has no meaning. You can be whoever you want to be. Um, and in a very emotional scene previous to this um, is when Captain Picard is in his quarters and he's looking through an old um, Picard family album in which he has pictures of and things from uh, their family history from generations prior and also pictures of his brother um, Robert and um, Captain Picard's nephew uh, René and um, Counts the Troy uh, um, comes to see him um, because she knows that there is something wrong with um, Captain Picard and uh, Marina Sirtis plays um, Counselor Troy and she comes in to speak to him and he's looking at the pictures in the, the album and he breaks down into tears and he explains that he's upset because his brother and his nephew had been killed in a fire at their home and you know he he's distraught by this and it's a very powerful scene uh, Patrick Stewart succumbs to tears and oh, it, it's very moving um, every time I watch it now it really does move me in in, um, in such a way that I, it's really um, it's, it's really uh, really incredible really emotional scene um, but they um, following on from their investigation into the cartography Picard and Data determine that uh, Dr. Soren is trying to redirect the ribbon and eventually the ribbon will intersect with a planet in the Viridian system called Viridian 3 um, but and that they surmise that Dr. Soren's plan is to um, is to collapse the Viridian star and of course this will set off a shock wave that will destroy all of the planets in the system and it will kill millions of people on uh, the nearby planet of Ridian 4 so Picard knows that they need to stop Dr. Soren by any means necessary um, so they travel to the Ridian system um, where the Klingon bird of prey with Dr. Soren and Geordie the Forge, who's been held co uh, hostage, are already there under cloak, um, invisible to the the sensors of the Enterprise. And while aboard the vessel, aboard the Bird of Prey, uh, Doctor Soren has been altering Geordie uh, the Forge's visor, which is the apparatus that he wears over his eyes. Uh, for, uh, that allows him to see the electromagnetic spectrum 
around him and essentially allows him to see because Geordie LaForge was born blind. But this um, this visor that he wears that connects to uh, the two points uh, either side of his head uh, at his temples, this allows him to see his electromagnetic spectrum. And Dr. Soren has altered this so that he can use Geordie as a... Um, uh, as a surveillance um, uh, device uh, against his will of course not even to his knowledge um, and eventually the Duras sisters uh, they beam down Dr. Soren to Viridian 3 so that he can um, carry out his plan to uh, collapse the Viridian star um, and then the Duras sisters make a deal with Captain Picard for the Enterprise saying that they will return Geordie LaForge if he will be their hostage. But before so, he he needs to be beamed down to Dr. Soren so that he can talk to him um, about the, what he's planning to do. And the Dura sisters agree. There is a prisoner exchange um, where Geordie's being back to the Enterprise and Picard is being down to Viridian 3. And while uh, on Viridian 3, um, Captain Picard tries to reason with Dr. Soren. Um, he's told about, he tries to explain to him that his actions are no different than the Borg who destroyed his world and they killed millions too. And he is about to kill millions if he collapses the Viridian Star. But um, Dr. Soren is unmoved, unemotional. He's been planning all of this, every aspect of his plan for almost 80 years. So he's not going to stop now. He's wanted to go back to the, the Nexus all this time. So he's not going to stop now. Um... And while Captain Picard is trying to reason with Dr. Soren, and while Dr. Soren is behind an energy shield, um, and he is carrying on with his plans, and he's readying to launch a solar probe that will uh, arrive at the Viridian Star in enough time to alter its gravity so that it will push the Nexus into making contact with the 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 surface of Viridian 3 where Dr. Soren will be waiting for it on a, a mountaintop and he will be consumed by it. And while this is happening, um, Geordie has been returned to the Enterprise. He's trying to recover from his hostage uh, experience being aboard the Bird of Prey. Uh, and as he walks through the ship, the Duras sisters are watching his every move uh, because the, his visor had, as I said, had been altered by Dr. Soren. Um, and eventually, uh, Geordie makes it to engineering, and uh, the Jura sisters are able to see that the Enterprise's um, shields are operating on a specific frequency. And now that they know that frequency, they can change the frequency of their photon torpedoes so that when they launch them, they will penetrate the shields and they will impact uh, on the um, on the hull of the Enterprise and cause severe damage and may even lead to 
uh, its destruction. Um, so after they find out the, the frequency, they launch an attack. There is uh, huge damage uh, done to the engineering section of the Enterprise. Um, a warp core breach uh, uh, happens, which leads to the Enterprise um, potentially becoming destroyed within um, within minutes. And then um, Commander William Riker uh, has uh, to order the evacuation of the ship, uh, evacuate the um, the engineering section to the saucer section of the Enterprise, so that the saucer section can separate from the engineering section, and they can make the escape with all of the crew before the warp core breaches and causes an explosion. Um, and the majority of the crew make it to the saucer section. The source se section separates from the engineering section. The warp core breaches and it explodes and lets out a shockwave. Um, um, which uh, causes the source section of the Enterprise to um, descend to the planet of Viridian 3. Um, but before uh, the ship was destroyed... Um, the engineering section of the ship was destroyed. Um, the The Enterprise was able to launch a torpedo um, uh, at the Bird of Prey, um, and they were able to uh, lock on to uh, one of the the frequencies. Um, they were able to set uh, let out a um, a pulse that allowed them to. Uh, locate the bird of prey that was that was cloaked and they were able to launch a torpedo to destroy the bird of prey and kill all aboard including the Juras sisters um, but yeah after that the the warp core of the enterprise breached um, the uh, engineering section uh, blew up the saucer section um, was forced into uh, the through the atmosphere of Viridian 3 and uh, subsequently uh, began crashing onto the surface of Viridian 3, dam damaging the, the source section beyond repair uh, and causing a great deal of damage inside to the inside of the ship as well as uh, some of the crew. Um, but eventually it does come to a halt, but the damage is uh, irreparable. Um, and because, and though Picard tries, although fails to, to stop Soren from launching his, um, his probe, he can do nothing but watch as, uh, Dr. Soren's, uh, solar probe is launched. It is fired at the, at the sun, the Viridian sun. It, um, goes to the core of the sun. It causes the, the sun to collapse, let out a shockwave, uh, very similar to the one that destroyed the um, the Amagosa Observatory. The ribbon, the Nexus ribbon, is redirected to uh, push it onto the surface of Viridian 3. Uh, it takes Dr. Soren and Captain Picard along with it, 
seconds before the planet Viridian 3 is destroyed along with the Enterprise and its crew. Um, but within moments, Captain Picard finds himself within the Nexus and he finds himself in a large home surrounded by children that appear to be his own uh, with a wife and also there is his nephew Rene and it appears to be Christmas time and Captain Picard is surrounded by family effects by memorabilia and he's happy he's uh, in an idealized environment um, but of course it's all an illusion but it takes him a couple of m moments to really shake himself from this illusion because it is so ideal for him and it is only really until he's confronted by an echo of Guinan not the real Guinan who is aboard the Enterprise but um, a version of her that has been left behind in the Nexus and this echo of Guinan comes to Captain Picard to remind him of who he is um, and to tell him that he can go anywhere anytime um, uh, but he she uh, suggests that he may need some help and she, she suggests that he go and see someone who is stuck in the Nexus just as uh, Captain Picard is and of course she uh, uh, directs Captain Picard to meet up with the with none other than Captain James T. Kirk who we discover is now has been safe and has been living within the Nexus for 78 years but to him he just arrived he was just aboard the Enterprise B the bulkhead in front of him disappeared and he just uh, found himself outside uh, his home in um, in uh, Iowa um, uh, chopping wood and um, and when uh, and of course Captain Picard recognizes uh, um, Captain Kirk because he's a legendary figure he's um, known as a great hero a great captain with a great legacy of adventures and he recognizes him but of course Captain Kirk doesn't know Captain Picard um, and he just continues with what he's doing he smells burning he goes into the kitchen of this house that's near him uh, that where there is breakfast being prepared and he just continues to prepare the breakfast with um, Katarian eggs and toast and he uh, appears to be um, making dinner uh, or breakfast I should say for um, his partner wife it's not really uh, ever made clear uh, but his partner by the name of um, Antonia and uh, she is upstairs in their bedroom and Kirk is making breakfast for them but as I said he just appeared there this is this 
is basically a memory. What Kirk is doing is he is um, within a memory. Um, and Kirk realises that this is all an illusion, but he chooses to stay there. And he says to Captain Picard, um, after he's told that he uh, was presumed dead, and he says, history considers me dead. Who am I to argue with history? And then Captain Picard says, you are a Starfleet officer. You have a duty. And then Captain Kirk says, I don't need to be lectured by you. I was out, sa I was out saving the galaxy when your grandfather was in diapers. And uh, and he says that he, he thinks that the galaxy owes him one as well. But uh, this doesn't sit well with Captain Picard because, because he was hoping that Captain Kirk would help him in what he needs to do to stop uh, Dr. Soren. Um, and Kirk tries to tries to give him a little advice saying I was like you once so um, you know obsessed with duty and and um, being the best um, and I let it I, I returned to Starfleet um, uh, even though doing so would mean um, leaving Antonia behind and he says I'm not going to do that this time and he goes up the stairs seemingly to be reunited with Antonia and he finds himself in a stable, a horse stable in uh, which appears to be his uncle's stable in Idaho and uh, Captain Picard follows him and he finds himself in the same stable um, and, this, and this is where uh, Kirk realises that he is in fact, on the, in the same place at the same day when he first met Antonia, and he says he's going to make it all better. He's going to start everything again, uh, and it's all going to be better than it was. So he sets out on his horse, uh, rides across the fields and the meadows, and eventually he comes to a, a ravine, and he jumps over it on his horse, um, but... Uh, he is a little, um, the feeling that he feels is a bit disconcerting because every, he, as he explains to Captain Picard, every time he jumped over this, um, this ravine, he, or it always scared him. But this time when he jumped over it, um, he, he didn't feel anything because he knows that it's all an illusion. Um... Then Captain Picard and Captain Kirk have a moment together on, because Captain Picard follows Captain Kirk on a horse because he is also uh, an equestrian. He's famous for uh, riding horses on the, the holodeck and he follows him on horseback and they have a conversation. And Captain Kirk um, uh, has a conversation. He says basically, oh, so you're the captain of the Enterprise, huh? Close to retirement, um, Captain Picard says, "Not, re I'm not uh, planning on it." Then Captain Kirk says, "Well, don't, don't let them do anything that takes you off the bridge of that ship, because while you're there, you can make a difference." And then Captain Picard pleads with Captain Kirk and says, "Come back with me. Stop Soren. Make a difference again." And then Captain Kirk says, "You know, if Spock was here, he'd say I was irrational." 
illogical human being for taking on a mission like that. And then they exchange um, a look, and then Captain Kirk says, sounds like fun. And then after that, uh, Captain Kirk takes one last look uh, towards Antonia, who's aboard, who's on the, the hill there. And then he and Captain Kirk ride off, uh, and then there is a flash of light. Then we see uh, the sequence of the Enterprise D uh, crashing into Viridian 3 repeated. And then we find ourselves on the mountaintop, and Dr. Soren is being uh, challenged by a mysterious figure. And the mysterious figure is none other than Captain James T. Kirk, who this time is going to face uh, Dr. Soren along with Captain Picard, because time has now reset. Uh, now that they've left the Nexus, they've been able to go back in time just prior to Dr. Soren launching the solar probe into the Viridian Star and causing it to collapse also causing the deaths of millions on the the fourth planet of the Viridian system, as well as the uh, the death of the Enterprise crew. Uh, so, um, uh, both Captain Picard and Captain Kirk engage um, Dr. Soren, uh, attempt to stop him from launching the solar probe. Um, Do uh, Captain Picard goes to the the launcher of the solar probe where while Captain Kirk pursues uh, Dr. Soren and engages in a uh, a fist fight with him um, and uh, Dr. Soren has a um, a remote control that um, can both activate and deactivate a cloaking field, an invisibility field that surrounds the controls to his launcher uh, for the solar probe. And um, um, Dr. Soren creates, uh, activates the the invisibility shield around the, the launcher, um, and this, of course, will stop Captain Picard from operating it and um, disabling it. Um, but uh, Captain Kirk is able to um, um, incapacitate Dr. Soren um, and um, he's able to uh, get a hold of the, uh, of the remote control and he's able to uh, activate the, the, uh, the controls that would um, make the the uh, solar probe visible and Captain Picard goes to the um, goes to the controls and he all he's able to do is uh, um, make sure that the magnetic clamps on the probe are um, are, op are um, operating so that they can't be the probe can't be launched and um, he also causes it to um, self-destruct as well. Um, and but in an, the attempt to get a hold of the um, the controls um, by Captain Kirk uh, was something that was um, 
of great risk to his life because the uh, the catwalk that the controls fell on were destroyed by Dr. Soren. He fired his weapon at the catwalk and uh, it caused the controls of the, the launcher to become lodged in one of the gantry ways uh, of the catwalk. And it was collapsed and it was cut in, broken in two. And Captain Kirk was just able to hold on enough to pull himself up. Um, and then he was able to jump across to the other side of the, the catwalk, the gantry way. And he was able to get to the, the controls and activate uh, and um, turn off the invisibility shield of the, of the launcher so that Captain Picard could um, operate the controls and um, made sure that it um, self-destructed. But in doing so, Captain Kirk sacrificed his life because not long after, the gantry way broke and it caused the gantry way and Captain Kirk, who was holding on to it, to fall um, from a great height. Uh, however, Captain Picard was able to, as I said, he was able to uh, make sure that the, the, the launcher would... Uh, be destroyed and as soon as more or less as soon as Dr. Soren gets to the controls to try and launch the solar probe um, it blows up uh, because it has been set to auto uh, destruct so Captain Picard was able to stop Soren uh, Dr. Soren is killed in the attempt um, however uh, Captain Picard uh, realizes that Captain Kirk um, had fallen when the gantry way had broken off, and when he finds him, he's very close to death. He has blood coming out of his mouth, and um, yeah, personally, this this scene in when I was in the cinema when I was thirteen years old, and even now makes me emotional every time I watch it because in this moment, in this scene. This is when we're watching the death, the death of the legendary Captain James T. Kirk. But before he dies, uh, Captain Picard and Captain Kirk have a moment between them um, in which Captain Kirk asks Captain Picard, did we do it? Did we make a difference? And uh, Captain Picard um, says yes. Yes, we made a difference. And then we see Captain Kirk take his last breath. And he turns to Captain Picard and he says, It was fun. And he smiles. However, then within moments, we see Captain Kirk start to look into the distance and he says his last words, which are, oh my. And then he succumbs to his mortal injuries and he dies. And the music that plays all throughout the film, but especially during Captain Kirk's death scene, um, as composed by Dennis McCarthy, is so moving 
and so beautiful that it gives me goose pimples every time I, I hear it. It's it uh, is a phenomenal, phenomenal soundtrack. If you've never heard the soundtrack to Star Trek Generations, then um, if nothing else, then you should definitely listen to that. Um, and it's a beautiful, beautiful soundtrack. Dennis McCarthy is a great composer. He um, scored um, several episodes of Star Trek The Next Generation, Deep Space Nine, Voyager, Enterprise, um, Dawson's Creek, Sliders. Um, yeah, very, very good composer. Um, but the music that plays in Kirk's, Captain Kirk's, Captain Kirk's death, and um, during um, his funeral, when uh, Captain Picard um, buries him um, on the the mountain top um, on Viridian Three, he uh, covers his body in rocks that he has um, collected together, uh, and he stands there. Um, mourning the the death of captain kirk and the loss of his new friend um and it's oh emotional very emotional very moving um but yeah soon after um captain picard um records a captain's log um, explaining that three Federation starships have arrived in orbit of Viridian 3 to retrieve the survivors of the, the USS Enterprise, or what's left of it. And uh, during the closing scenes of the film, we see Captain Picard searching through the rubble of his former vessel, along with his first officer, Commander William Riker. And um, he's looking for something specific. And what he's looking for is the Picard family album. Um, and then also a moving scene when we see Captain Picard and Commander Riker muse about the Enterprise's legacy. Um, and uh, about time. Um and this is when Captain Picard uh, echoes the words of uh, Dr. Soren. And he says, Someone once told me that time is a predator that stalks us all our lives. But I would like to think of it as a companion. More to think of it like it was a companion who goes with us on the journey. Um, and asks of us to remember that... Um, we should never take any moment for granted and that what we leave behind is not as important as how we've lived that's a great message to uh, to remember so it's a message that I, I think about quite a lot what we leave behind is not as important as how we've lived and as Picard says right at the end um, after all number one we're only mortal and then uh, Commander Riker quips that, speak for yourself, Captain, uh, I plan to live forever. And then they go to the Enterprise Bridge, or what is left of it, and uh, Commander Riker says that he, 
he touches the captain's chair and he says, I, I thought that I would get a, a chance at this one day. And then Captain Picard says, maybe you will. And he says, I, um, I have no doubt that there will be another ship that will carry the name Enterprise. And then Captain Picard and Commander Riker depart um, the remnants of their old ship, the USS Enterprise D. The three vessels carrying the crew, the former crew of the USS Enterprise, um, leave orbit of Iridian 3. Um, they warp away. And uh, that's the end of the film. And uh, yeah such an emotional film uh for all of all concerned fans non-fans people who um are probably just maybe even casual fans casual viewers um but seeing the death of captain kirk not only once but twice once believing that he was being killed by the nexus and then dying to save um to save millions by, you know, jumping over and getting the controls and then falling to his death. Um, it was so it was heartbreaking, very heartbreaking, very moving. And also seeing the destruction of the USS Enterprise D, which is a film that I, in particular, had become very um, connected to after watching it so many times throughout all of the 178 episodes of Star Trek The Next Generation. And I'm sure I'm not alone in in that in um, in missing that ship because it was such an iconic ship, just as the the USS Enterprise from the original series was um, for that generation and uh, still continues to be to this day. But it's such a phenomenal film, Star Trek Generations, and if you haven't seen it, then I would definitely recommend that you you watch it. Um, it was written by Ronald D. Moore. And Brandon Braga, who were resident uh, producers and writers on several of the Star Trek series. Um, uh, and I'm sure, and I know, they got a lot of criticism for killing off Captain Kirk in this film. Um, but they were writing it at the same time that they were writing the series finale of Star Trek The Next Generation. Um which was called All Good Things, and I, I heard that Ronald D. Moore said that um, uh, he would rather the film Star Trek Generations have been more uh, like All Good Things was, where they got to visit several um, different uh, time periods, and that would have been a better, a better fit, it would have been a better story, but... Yeah, maybe, but and that, that that episode, that two-part episode, the series finale of Star Trek: The Next Generation, is a great episode. It's one of their best, and it's a fitting send-off for that crew and that TV show. But Star Trek Generations is a is a really great film. It's um, it's really emotionally charged. It's sad, but uh, I really enjoy it, and I've enjoyed watching it. As I said, since I was. 13 years old and um it'll always be a very special film for me and i have a lot of memories and 
a lot of feelings attached to it. Uh, but it was great, great film, wonderfully directed by David Carson, um, and wonderfully acted by All Concerned. Um, but yeah, but yeah. So I think I'm going to leave it there for now. Uh, I just want to say uh, thank you for listening. I hope you like what you heard, and I'll talk to you again soon. Oh, and live long and prosper. If you like what you heard in uh, this episode of uh, the Mark Hastings Experience, um, and if you want to check out some more of my poetry, um, then you... Uh, you can head over to markthepoet.me, uh, which is my website, and you'll find uh, lots of the poems that I've written over the years. Um, if you want to uh, check out some of my poetry uh, in uh, a book form, uh, and go to Amazon, and you'll find um, all ten of my books that I've had published. Um, they're all books of poetry, um, uh, books of stories, uh, books of uh, memories and uh, experiences, um, and there'll be more to come. And uh, if you would love to um, contribute uh, to uh, to the podcast, then you can do so by heading over to Patreon and searching for Mark the Poet, and uh, your uh, your support would be greatly appreciated. Um, but uh, as I was saying, I hope you liked what you heard in this uh, episode, um, and I'll talk to you again soon.